0: For the sake of time, I'll just call up uh, Pastor Rick, pastor Rick Lambert. He's been a pastor for a while, for a lot of years, um, in the likes of serving with people like Steve Ham, who's Ken Ham's brother. <laughs> and uh, I've been humbled as I hear his testimony and how God has used him. Another man that never sought the limelight, but has been raising up men for to serve. God's people. He's been a shepherd to pastors, raising up pastors, helping struggling churches, and just working with God's men, other pastors. And so Rick, um, it is a blessing uh, to have him here because he can speak to Rob and he can speak to us as raising up men for the ministry. So come share God's word to us. Well, today's a great privilege to be with you all. Yesterday was such a a great honor to watch Rob's ordination and to see your participation and involvement, and uh, it was it was truly a blessing. Um, uh, Again, I apologize for the time yesterday. I I, uh, looked down at my my watch, and we had forty five minutes to go. and that I thought, this is plenty of time for Rob to get done. And then I looked down a little bit later, and I thought I'd entered the twilight zone. The, the, the watch had not moved. And, uh, so uh, I, uh, I suddenly realized when I looked at my, my phone that um, uh, we were actually 45 minutes behind schedule. <laughs> so um, uh, so if, if you think Rob was long-winded yesterday, it was my fault this time. So. so uh, don't worry, I have a uh, different watch here today, and, uh, uh, and you can hope it works. Uh, well, the, 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 the message today is going to be parallel in, uh, in its address, uh, two-prong, or depending on who you are, maybe even double-barrel, uh, but it's to Rob and to you. But it's to Rob because he's taken upon himself, uh, by the direction of God, of course, the office of pastor. He's part of a great team here. Uh, I, you've already seen his, his, uh, his efforts, uh, his study, and his zeal in preaching. Um, when I read his synopsis, uh, which, at least when I printed mine off, it was, what, over 100 pages, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Uh, he referenced scripture over 400 times. And I figured he's got this. Uh, this is not going to be an issue. And uh, the, the, the whole ordination process was great. The other pastors uh, were excited. Many of them just mentioned to me how this made them want to go back and, and uh, start studying these things again. They got a little rusty. And, and I can agree. It was a blessing to see. And, and uh, Rob preached his answers and uh, they were good, good answers. So it was a it was a blessing to see. I, I enjoyed it immensely, and um, and really, I'm just going to be praying for him. And you you have developed Rob a a camaraderie of other pastors now, and boy, just follow up with them and and maintain that fellowship with them. And I know you will with David, and and I hope you will continue with me, and and. Um, uh, if you go silent i 'll wonder why, so i 'll have to find out but um, but it was a blessing you know it's it 's like this folks. God calls a man to be a pastor teacher He calls him to be his servant, but God uses the people to make him a pastor, and he is using you in dynamic ways to mold him, make him to be what he is, and as you continue that, well, you're going to get many more returns. Uh, it's an investment that's going to, to give some good, uh, good returns on it. So keep it up, and I hope uh, that you'll keep raising up more men to serve as overseers and under shepherds and, and pastors and teachers. It, it's a wonderful, wonderful calling because we live in a world that, well, we need strong leaders. We need passionate pastors who are not afraid to declare the truth. Uh, We've got so many pastors that are coming across, if it were possible, to be more merciful than God. And you can't. You can't be more merciful than God. You can only be compromising to sin. And so we want to show no mercy to sin. Uh, We want to declare the truth and draw the line uh, and, and hold to that line. When I was ordained, a mutual friend, uh, Roy Blackwood, spoke my ordination. He was an elderly pastor, Reformed Presbyterian pastor, and uh, was, was a unique man positioned in my life at a very significant time. I had been involved in a, an international ministry and had left troubled, discouraged, defeated, disillusioned, angry. Uh, I'd had enough. If, if I, I pretty much found myself saying, if this is the ministry, maybe I don't want it. and uh, I was living in Indianapolis at the time, and Roy Blackwood, who was also part of this organization, took me under his wing and, and helped heal my wounds, and uh, quickly, I might add. It didn't take long. Uh, he took me to the Word, and, and uh, in fact, what I'll share this morning. He started in my thinking, um, but he shared something. And, and while it doesn't directly apply uh, in this situation, it was great advice because it's a temptation of every pastor to, to create something uh, and, and not just depend upon the quality that God has given us into his word. He said, Rick, the young man had some new ideas and some good ideas. But his new ideas weren't good ideas, and his good ideas weren't new ideas. And, um, and that became a reminder up to this day, don't reinvent theology. Lay it out, preach it as it is. And that's that's the blessing of the Lord and, and the word that he gives us. There's a passage that I want to leave you, Rob, before we we get into the, the actual message in this, you'll see the The significance of this message to your life as a pastor uh, and uh, and as a minister, and then to the congregation as a whole. Why we go through this ordination process. Why you, you come to services on Sunday and throughout the week, hear the preaching of the word. Because the age demands it. We need this. Even if you don't fully understand or don't think you need it, you need the fellowship of believers and the accurate, steady preaching of the word. So as I was thinking about a passage to share with you that would bridge the gap from, from ordination into sermon, I, I was looking out your folks' window this morning, and uh, the one upstairs, and you can see Mount Baker, and, and a beautiful... Uh, Serenic view and, and I, was, I was thinking well Father what, what can I just share with Rob that, that lays out uh, the, the true heart that, that you have for him and that I can express on the Lord's behalf and it was funny I found myself humming a song uh, from the, uh, the Psalter and I suddenly realized this has to be it It's Psalm 121, picturing, of course, perfectly Mount Baker in the background. Let me read it to you, and then we will uh, will move into the sermon this morning. I lift my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? Where does it come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. And this is what really was moving in my heart. Rob, the Lord will keep you from evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The Lord will keep you. That's that's an amazing and profound principle of Scripture. The Lord keeps you. And this, this is a significant aspect of sanctification. The work that God initiates the work he begins, the work he develops, and the work he completes. And we love these passages which guarantee the safety the Lord gives us. And so as I read that and sang it and hummed it, and, and I thought, you know, Father, thanks. That, that is what I would love to share with Rob this morning. So Rob and I have been friends for ages, decades, decades. And, uh, and he's always been a great, faithful friend. Uh, I don't know of a time which we've even had an, an argument or a disagreement. Uh, uh, he just, he's a, he's a tender, spirited man. He has never changed. He's enthusiastic over 30 years ago as he was yesterday. Uh, I've, I've come to expect it, and I appreciate it. He is refreshing. But this is necessary as we look to the age in which we live. If I were to give a title to, to my message this morning, it's Holy Conduct in the Age of Iniquity. Uh, or you could say a believer's duty as a standard bearer of God's holiness. We, we have to, uh, to arrive at this great and wonderful understanding of who we are in Christ and why we're in Christ. Why didn't we just, when the moment we were born again, you know, suddenly go to heaven why did God keep us here on an earth that everywhere you turn just seems to be getting worse because we are salt we are light and he wants to communicate his glory whether in redemptive purposes or in judgment who he is through his word and through his word through you now, to begin this, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, but uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. I want to read another passage to you. You can turn to it if you wish. It's Isaiah 6. If we're going to talk about holiness and sanctification, you've got to go back to square one, to the root of where this all began and with whom it began. If to, we're going to understand the immense subject of holiness, we have to begin in Isaiah 6. I'll read verses 1 through 7. Follow along, please. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy The Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Just the remarkable unfolding of all these themes in the presence of God. The service of the angels, the, the declaration of God's holiness, and all that that implies. The fact it wasn't a singular word. We don't hear God referred to as love, love, love. We don't hear God referred to as wrath, wrath, wrath. But he is more than once referred to as holy, holy, holy. Holy. And my hope today is to try to drive us to an understanding of how that translates into daily action in our lives. What are we supposed to do with that thought? Because we'll find out as we read our passage in 1 Peter, you're commanded to be holy. So here is Isaiah seeing the holiness of God and, and falling apart. We see the same with the Apostle John in Revelation who fell down like a dead man. And we are declared to be holy as God is holy. Doesn't that in some way, shape, or form sort of grab grab you and just think, what what do I do with this? How can this be? Because my problem was, and it it was born in in my early ministry days, that I had to be, well, good luck. I had to be perfect. Perfect. Now, I knew I couldn't be perfect, but I had to try to be, and I had to look like I was. There was a time when it came to spiritual disciplines and, and, uh, and, and things like that. I was the poster boy for going by the book. And then I, I in fact, I even read a book once. It made me laugh uh, years later because I thought, I, I, I could have written this book, but as a Pharisee's guide to total holiness. And I thought, I thought wow, I, I could have written this. Uh, but I just began to realize, and this is where my, my friend Roy Blackwood played a part, and I guess I'm just pleased to even mentioning here, because he shared things from his ordination, and I'm sharing from mine to you to pass on to others, Rob, but uh, but it was all along the lines of, of sanctification, what God has started, God's completing, and so this is a, an amazing thought as we drive to it. I've got, I've got a, some things to work through, so I'm going to Jump to this and get into it. Um, I, my 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 watch is working, so I want to make sure that I, I get to the to the main point. So go with me to to First Peter one, and I'm going to go quickly through this. I've been doing a verse by verse study in First Peter uh, with my brother's congregation in Michigan. They they let me uh, preach up there um, and uh, endure me. So uh, so I've been taking them through First Peter, and in fact, I think some might even be watching now. So. Uh, I'll be ready to hear, uh, hear of my errors from them. <laughs> so uh, there are going to be a few points that we're going to work through uh, as we get up to the, to the heart of this passage. But we first want to take a look at uh, uh, verses uh, 3 through 5. Blessed be the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So here I want us to begin to see this concept of holiness was established in verses 1 and 2. You can read them there. It's to the elect, to those who are sanctified through the Spirit. Uh, They become the standard bearers. That's who Peter is writing to, the standard bearers of holiness, a, a work of sanctification being done by the Spirit. And now he begins to work us through what I believe is the theme of the book of 1 Peter, be holy as I am holy, because he tells us how this all came into play and then he spends the rest of the book showing us how it unfolds, how it expresses itself in your confrontation to sin, how it expresses itself when you're suffering with persecution, how it expresses itself in the marriage relationship. All these things he unfolds and says, this is what sanctification looks like. And then, of course, ends the book, which we definitely won't get to today, but warning the overseers about The sanctifying process, you be humble and don't be lords, shepherd the flock. So we start with how sanctification creates a living hope and that's what we see here. There are several principles laid out and I'm just going to mention them as we move on. He talks about the blessed God. And this is significant that he would start this way. Don't, don't get pulled into the fact that this was just a standard introduction, that you know, we often see it in Paul or or whatever. This is not any, this is this is a powerful word. For the idea of blessed, we derive our English word eulogy from, and it has the idea of what is the best that can be said about this person. So he's Peter's going to introduce all that can be said that's great about God. And get those thoughts moving in your mind so that in in result, you will say the best things about God. He calls him the merciful God, that it's by his great mercy that we're born again. We find that he is a gracious God. He caused us to be born again to a living hope. And then we see that he is a powerful God because by his power, we are guarded. This is an amazing concept. We're guarded by God. He himself is our bodyguard, protecting us and preparing us and bringing us into his eternal home. So we read this, we know this, but now he wants us to live in the reality of it. So we find then that sanctification creates this living hope. You have an anticipation. It's not an an idle little thing. You want it. You desire it. You're anticipating it. You just don't know the time yet. But you need to be trained and prepared, and you are. The preaching of the word is faithful here. You're seeing it if you want to pay attention to it. God is showing you how He is making you to be like Jesus Christ. We have to train ourselves for godliness to see it. How is He training you? How is He working in you? What trial or affliction are you facing? What hardship? What doubt all these things God uses to purify our hope? The next set of verses, chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, talk about how sanctification carries us through every trial. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you are being grieved. And that's that's a harsh word. You're being grieved. You're being hurt. You're sorrowful. You're frustrated. You're being grieved by various trials. So you have severe, you have light trials, uh, you have uh, the depths of sorrow trials, you have daily aggravation trials. Why is this? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested with fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we're facing these trials, they confront us, they bring affliction, of real grief in our lives. We have a spiritual enemy that wants to intensify the pain of what we're going through. He's right there to beat us down, so that's an even another form of grief that we face. Yet we see that these trials are refining furnace and in it, we discover that God has given us a great faith. Notice that, that in this, this, uh, this testing of faith, it's not God showing you, see, you don't have much faith. That's, that's the enemy's territory. He wants us minus, yeah, you faithless person. Don't you, uh, Sanctification is simply God showing us in these trials, you see, you have faith. Let me show you how it works. And I'll elaborate more on that in just a moment. The third section that uh, we come to is verses 8 through 9. Sanctification causes our deepest and loudest praise. Though you've not seen Him, you love Him. Though him, Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. God grows that faith to see that by some unexplained way, we love the Lord. As I've gone through hard trials in my life, and like you all, I've had my share, I've constantly been reminded of how much I love the Lord. I don't know why, because my flesh doesn't always think very highly of him. But my spiritual man, the real Rick Lambert, loves him. This is, just, I wish I could know him more and to know him better. And that's the man that I want to see running the ship. And so that's why sanctification becomes so important because it brings that spiritual nature into the forefront. Instead of your body Directing and 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 leading into sin and frustrations, the spiritual man begins to take the lead and finds its nourishment in the scriptures and its its fulfillment in the word and its love of fellowship, its its love of being together. Those things that bolster up Christian living, godly living, the spiritual man craves and looks for. That's why when you get. Super weighted down with sin, or or super discouraged, or or those things that just seem to wipe us out, as as I had gone through when when I had left that ministry work, I was I was I was down, and out as it were. I could hear the referee giving the count. (laughs) That God rushed, Roy Blackwood to my side and said, (laughs) "It's like he picked me back up, dusted me off, and pushed me back in." He said, "You'll be okay." Uh, and, and he was right. There's a refreshment that Lord wants to bring because we love him. And he gave us that love. Isn't that great? You know, just I, I think a Sunday or two ago, uh, uh, Pastor Kyle preached from, from Romans 5. And the love that gushes from our heart, that didn't come from you. God put it there. It's a fruit of his spirit. It's a proof that his spirit's there as well as faith. All the proofs of the Spirit, we call them fruits. I I like to refer to them as proofs because I'm always looking for them. They're always there. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, inner power. All these things are right there ready for us to discover. And God is constantly cultivating them so that we can see them. So God has put a love in our heart to love Him. We don't always know why. We don't always know how, but we do. And he keeps bringing that to the surface. So sanctification creates a living hope. Sanctification carries us through every trial. Sanctification causes our deepest and loudest praise to God because we love him. Then we come to the fourth point uh, in this chapter as we work our way through it, verses 13 through 16. And this is where I will will try to to get a little traction. Um, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. And being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who has called you to be holy, so be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. So here we see that sanctification concentrates our focus. It wants us to to center our attention on God, his will, his work, and work in joy with it. Not that it's, you know, God does his 90% and somehow now we've got to produce the 10% in order to complete the sanctification, but to discover how God's working in us and working with what he's given to us. I'll explain more of that in just a moment. First of all, we've got to understand that we do have A problem in seeing this command, that preparing your mind for action, you need an attitude of biblical seriousness. There's a problem that we face, and it is called sin. But let me just briefly paint you a picture of what sin really is. We know how bad it is. I don't have to tell you that. We're all experts. So so we, we know that sin is a vicious, vicious monster. But God defeated sin through Jesus Christ. It has no power except one, deception. It will seek to deceive you. Look at it this way. Here's a a simple, almost silly illustration. I have in my hand here a ballpoint pen. You can tell. It's simple. I could probably break it if I wanted to. So it's very small. But let's say that this pen represents what sin should be to me. Hmm well, there it is. I can get rid of it. I can hold it. I can hurt myself with it, uh, whatever. But here's what the enemy wants us to do, because he, he's threatened by this concept of being made holy as Jesus is holy. He wants you to get a closer look at it. So he'll just tell you, move it closer, closer. Isn't that nice? Oh, you know you really want this, you know. Go ahead. You, you can't resist it anyway. Become fixated on it, and it gets closer and closer and closer, and all of a sudden this little pin blocks everyone from my view in this room. When you go to the word and you're being made holy as Jesus is holy, you suddenly realize, oh silly me. Look how small it is. But I became so fixated on it, it became huge. To me. And that's how sin wants to deceive you. It wants to show itself bigger than it is. It's the only way, only hope it has. And even then, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God's going to get rid of it. So don't worry too much, but He's going to get rid of it. But better just to recognize it from the Word and recognize ah, pff, I want to lay this aside. That's the command of Scripture. When you see, flee you lust or lay aside every weight in the sin, when you see these commands, you have grace from the Holy Spirit to do it. And so he'll teach you how. And again, that, now we come back to the, the fact why God has given us pastors. We're supposed to show you. That's our duty. So we are examples, are we not, pastors, elders, deacons? We're examples. And when we look at the qualifications of the scripture, so are your wives. I like how J.C. Ryle commented on this thought. He said, Satan knows well the power of true holiness and the immense injury which increased attention to it will do to his kingdom. He really is bothered by Christians who all of a sudden realize they're being made holy as Jesus is holy. And it goes even much deeper because not only are you being made holy, there's a legal document written that says you are. You are holy as I am holy, God says. And now he spends your lifetime teaching you you are. So it's like this. We feel condemned over our sins, and we get frustrated and and discouraged by that, and we think, I can't be a Christian, and and if I am, I'm a bad Christian, and I'm a hypocrite, or I'm a Pharisee, and, and all that may be true. But the bottom line is, God is going to have the final say, and he's going to keep working, keep developing, keep peeling back, keep strengthening, so that at some point, in the near future, I hope, but in the future, He's going to strip those things away and you're going to go, I'm free. I'm at last, I'm free. I understand that sin does not have dominating power over me. In my, my life's work, I, I, I do a lot of discipleship work. I work with a lot of uh, university students and, and uh, adults and all as well, and, and um, I' just this has been the theme. Help people see sin for what it is and holiness for what it is. We're declared to be holy, and then we're made to see about us what God sees. And of course, when God sees you, what does he see? The righteousness of who? Jesus Christ. And he wants you to see yourself covered in Jesus Christ. That's why when Martin Luther, I, I, I can't get the exact quote, it's just off the top of the head, but when confronted about, you know, he says, when Satan comes and he harasses you and, and trips you up and tempts you and accuses you about your sins, what do you say? What of it? What of it? So you've got to come to this place, and it's the Holy Spirit's work to bring you to that place where you go, what of it? Because God's going to deal with with me and my sins by leading me in the righteousness of Christ, I will, at His right, at the right time, break out of this. So understand, there are some sins that you're going to confront, and you're going to get rid of them. They're, I mean, it's going to be they're out of here. And yet there'll be others? Oh, you'll wrestle with to your dying day. Don't you find it interesting that we don't struggle? With every sin possible. We have our pet ones. Then we have the ones that, like flies or mosquitoes, irritate us. But we don't struggle with every sin. I've never had a temptation to rob a bank. Never have. I've never walked in a bank going, hmm, I wonder if I could. (laughs) I've never had a temptation to murder anybody, even with road rage. (laughs) As far as I'll go is the horn, but that's that's it. So, but I do struggle with my own sins, and they drive me bonkers. Like Paul, I, I go before the Lord, God, take it away, take it away, take it away. And, of course, you know what we hear. You've heard it, too. No, my grace is sufficient. My strength is perfected in your weakness. And then through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, we're trained to say that I'm going to glory in my weaknesses. And we're trained to do that. The Holy Spirit trains us there. So when we are struggling with sins, when we're pursuing this whole thought of sanctification... And trying to understand it, we've got to recognize that the Holy Spirit's going to use the Word of God or the preaching of the Word of God. But it's going to be the Word of God. This book to us, for illustration purposes, is the toolbox of the Holy Spirit. He's going to put it to use. And He wants to expose these things to you so you'll see them. I shared with you about my friend Roy Blackwood coming and helping me when I was so deeply discouraged. I had been attending his congregation, and um, I was so blessed by him. I wanted to be there. I wasn't used to Reformed Presbyterian ways and, and all, but uh, hey, the word was preached, and I like singing psalms. So uh, I thought, I'm going I'm to stick around. So a month after I had left this organization and I was still feeling sore I walked into the service and I opened the bulletin and I noticed the title that Dr. Blackwood was going to preach that morning. And the title was Sanctification, the process whereby we're made holy as Jesus is holy. And it didn't do too much movement. I mean, I've, I've got a Bible education. I'd heard of sanctification before, but not like he shared it. I had always had it doused in aspects of Charles Finney's per- perfectionism and, and John Wesley's uh, uh, armenist efforts and, and things like that. But to hear of the pure work of the Holy Spirit in making us holy, I had those, that aha moment. Of, Where have I been? It's right there. In the Word, it was like instant healing. It was like, Rick, rise up and walk. And I leapt from the, from the ground and started walking. It, it totally healed me. I still have those notes. And, uh, and as I look back at them, I marvel because they're just notes. They're, there's no, no power and I can't add them to the Bible. They're just notes. But the Holy Spirit opened the toolbox and said, let me fix you here. Be in the word and be praying. Pray your scriptures to God. Pray those those passages you read. Oh, God, teach me this. Bring me to the point of understanding this. Someone said that prayer is faith breathing. That's what it is. When you pray, it's an exercise of faith. Faith the Holy Spirit gave you. Pray for insight into your study. Pray that you'll practice the word. Persistent prayer molds your will to the will of God. He goes on in the passage as obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't go back to the old schematic is what the word conformed means. The old plans for your life. You're not going to fit It's going to be frustrating if you try, so don't go back. God has created a new mold like Christ, and that is where you are going to be your happiest. So God's going to teach you to obey, and there are two simple principles of obedience that I want to share, and then we're going to run to our last point. Two simple principles of obedience. The first is action, what you're to do. And always know if God tells you to do something, he's going to give you grace to do it. He'll train you to do it. It may take time to do it, but you're going to do it. It's a command. And then one that's often overlooked, a responsive obedience, submitting to what God brings to your door. I I can look at the actions and think, okay, God, let's work on this. Let's do it. But I'm not as sharp on the submission side. Because like, like anyone else, I'm looking at the trial going, oh, God, do we have to go through that? I'd rather pass that one up. Is this required? God says, submit, submit. Isn't it interesting that James 4 points out we're to submit to God Resist the devil. But we've got to be submitting to God, which means that we accept what he serves up and respond in obedience to him. John Brown, one of my favorite commentators, had this to say about this passage, and I loved it. It's one of these things, I I read it, it was like my eyes rolled back into my head. I couldn't believe what I was reading. You may not be as impacted as I was, but I was just riveted by this. It's exactly what I needed to see. He said this, to be conformed to God is man's truest happiness. God is, and this is, this is what got me, I, I, I just, I mean, I knew it, but my eyes, my eyes seeing it thrilled my soul. God is the happiest being in the universe. Now you think if you were God, you might look at the earth and going, ugh. But he's the happiest Being in the universe, nothing has exceeded his happiness. I read that and I just thought, oh, I love that thought. That was was an instant tank full. I said, this is, I'm ready to go. He is perfectly happy because he is perfectly holy. Man cannot participate in the happiness of God but by becoming partakers of his holiness. That's the only way. So we better understand what is holiness or we're not going to be happy. I want to be happy. I want the world to see Rick Lambert as a man who is thrilled with the life God's put before. So that whatever comes my way, God's planned it all. I'm going to submit tell me what to do by your word and give me the grace to obey it and I'm going to go for it. So he says in 1 Peter, this is our final point, sanctification conforms us to Jesus Christ. But as he has called you as holy, in all your conduct, since it is written, you must be holy as I am holy. Of course, Peter's referring to Leviticus 11.44, Leviticus 9.19.2, and I especially like Leviticus 20.26 when he says, you shall be holy to me, for I am the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the people, that you should be mine. That's, that's a beautiful definition of holiness. I like that commitment. I love that dedication. My mom used to tell me the, the song my dad sang to her at their wedding. So she came down the aisle, he sang to her, and he had a big, booming, tenor voice, and uh, uh, he, the name of the song, perhaps you heard it it, is called Because. And uh, it ended uh, how thrilled he was because God made you mine was the, the theme of the song. And, and uh, it just it brings back that whole concept. God is saying, I've made you holy. You are mine. And what happens when you are the possession of God? You see, this is where we've got to change the way we think if we're not thinking that way. You're God. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. You belong to God. There are three aspects of holiness, and with this, I will bring this to a conclusion. Let's look at the lexical definition of holiness. It's powerful in itself, but I'll look at. Uh, we're going to sort of break it down a little bit. Holiness is separation from the world and the lordship and power of sin to the controlling power of God. It's being separated from one. To another. Simple? You got it? It's not complex. I like how Vine put it: sanctification is thus the state predetermined by God for believers, into which his in gra- grace he calls them, and which they begin their Christian course and so pursue it. You know, you you think of of uh, the Holy Spirit coming along in this realm of holiness. We've been separated. We're no longer on the broad way that leads to destruction. We're now on the narrow way that leads to life, and that is the path of holiness. That's the path of sanctification, and it's difficult, and there aren't many who find it. But you're there if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit's there to show us, I've separated you from the broad way, so stop trying to go back to it. Stop trying to get so close to it. You're not designed to go back anymore. You can't get there. Don't go there. Instead, the narrow path. Let me be your guide, the Spirit says. And that's why, too, again, he uses the under shepherds. Show the people where they shouldn't step. Show them to watch out for the thickets, for sliding rocks. Be a guide To my people, says the great shepherd. In a practical sense, holiness means to be made like no other. So it's separation for one, separation two, and it means to be made like no other. For example, look at the ground, the holy ground Moses stood on at the burning bush. What made it different than all the dirt around it? God chose to use it. It was like no other ground, because God chose that patch of dirt. So if God is going to declare a patch of dirt holy, what can he do with a patch of dirt he made living, you and me? Don't you want to know? In an applied state then, sanctification or holiness, they're used interchangeably, means to be separated from the common and made uncommon. Made uncommon. The difference being twofold, of course, since power has been eliminated and you've been declared to be like Jesus and your life here on earth before a godless dying world is to be made like Jesus Christ. They need to see it. And they need to see it in you. You and we are God's choice of showing his holiness. That's why Peter began this whole section. You better have a a serious mind, a biblically serious mind. Prepare your minds for action. Realize who you are. Be sober, slap yourself in the face. You're, you're becoming inebriated with the world. Get away from it. Stop sipping at the world's cup. And let the world see Christ. There's no trial, no desperate situation so deep that God can't find you and help you. Isn't that what Corey Tim Boom used to say? There is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. And he wants to pull you out and bring you up and set your feet on a new foundation and launch you and use you, any of you. He's looking for you to obey his word and he'll lay it out for you and he's looking for you to submit to him. So let me close with just a couple thoughts and then a passage of scripture. The Holy Spirit works in us and with us not against us or without us. John Owen, the Puritan theologian, said that. The Holy Spirit works in us and with us, not against us or without us. He's facilitating this work in us. He's preparing us for the work to take place. He develops this new spiritual mindedness and we respond. I like how B.B. Warfield described this. He said, the Christian life on earth is a conflict with sin. And therein is the dreadfulness of the situation on earth displayed. But we are not left to fight the battle alone. And I love this. The Christian life is a conflict of God with our sin and not with us. So he's moved and eliminated all the barriers and the problems so that we can, with complete and full happiness, be following him, following his happiness, because he's the happiest being in the universe. And this is the work that God's doing, folks. It's not mine, yet I'm not not some mindless puppet off to the side where God puts his hand and I do what, what he's... No, God wants me to participate with him, and so he has given me everything I need to take the next step. And to rejoice with him and be happy with him that, that we're doing this. And he let me do this. I'm preaching here today not because of a degree or because of experience. But because God says this is the next step for you. Do it. And any of you who have preached know the unique pressures that it brings. I woke up at four this morning going, okay, I can't say that. i got to say this. and <laughs> and, uh, and writing out new notes, you know what that's like. And then... Watching the minutes tick away, oh, 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 seeing faster. Uh, so, so you know, it's it's just you know, I was prepared for the step. I wanted to take it, and so, so there we are. Well, let's close with this passage, and uh, I do appreciate your your extra patience this morning. First Thessalonians five twenty three and twenty four, which sums up this beautiful passage in First Peter. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May I add, may the Holy Spirit of God make you uncommon. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the exclamation point. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Be holy because God said you are, and now is training you to be. Let's go to prayer. Our precious God, thank you for the power of your work in rescuing us from the dominating power of sin and liberating us to be in the likeness of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our great God, as you have declared us to be holy, please, in your great, magnificent work of sanctification, bring us and educate us and train us into the fact that, yes, we actually are. Father, separate us from this world. May the ties of it be broken, and may we long to be belonging just to you. Make us like no other, and make us uncommon. For your glory, our dear God, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.